This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I N A C I T Y L I K E Y O U R S dot C O M. For links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, Eric begins his story when he was adopted at age six by an abusive stepfather who would beat him over his grades and who made him feel he couldn't do anything right. At age 12, he started doing drugs and getting into minor trouble. His second stepfather was abusive also, and they would get into fistfights with each other. Later in life, he found that he liked the discipline of being involved in the construction business. He excelled in construction and soon became a job foreman, responsible for those who worked for him. After being married and raising two boys, he got involved in acting, which is his current passion. Here is Eric's story. Hey, this is Eric James Morris. I'm 45 years old, and I'm located in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, we'll start way back when I was just a baby, uh, when I was born. I'm going to try not to make this too incredibly long, but I just want to give some backstory about who I am and how I got to where I'm at today. When I was a small child, a baby, I don't remember it, but um, my biological father had a lot of issues. He was a partier, used a lot of drugs, had a lot of girls, a lot of women in his life. And, you know, this is all of what I've been told from my mother later on in life. And nonetheless, uh, they didn't work out. They uh, had a divorce when I was just months old. And I um, didn't really know who my real father was for many years. Uh, later on, I, I was adopted by my stepdad when I was maybe, I don't know, maybe six years old. And my name changed to Morris, which what it is today. As a child, I didn't understand that. I, I just remember growing up, you know, uh, my sister, I have an older sister who lived with me at the time, and uh, she was maybe five years older than me. And she um, sometimes would go leave and would go visit with my biological father. Uh, he would come pick her up. And uh, I just remember being upset that I couldn't go. Uh, my, my adopted dad, evidently, he didn't want me to go. He didn't want, I don't think he wanted me to know my real father. I don't really know for certain about that, but looking back as a man, I think this uh, was the case. So anyhow, um, I used to get upset as a child and you know, never did understand why. And, uh, you know, years went by and then my mother let me go to hang out with my biological father a couple times here and there. 
And I never could understand, you know, why the situation, because uh, I was a child myself, I didn't really understand what the deal was. Uh, who, you know, this is supposed to be my dad, but he's not my dad, you know. So it was uh, made it kind of tough as a kid. And I had uh, always held, I always held my biological father on a higher platform. I thought he was, you know, done wrong. I always felt like he was the victim and he was, uh, you know, a really good guy. So anyhow, life moves on. I was with my, uh, my stepdad, my adopted dad at the time. Uh, he was a, a good dad when I was little. He was uh, very strict, very, very, uh, very strict and it got kind of out of hand as we got a little bit older uh it was like um he was one of those kind of dads that you couldn't bring home anything less than an a on your report card or you got the stick or the belt uh, he would beat you and it's i just thought that was normal you know i didn't really know and i remember as i started getting a little bit older i was about seven or eight years old maybe nine and i started um you know having um, a lot of problems just uh, as a child i was uh I, uh, insecurity. I just didn't feel secure about who I was. Um, I always felt like some of the other kids were uh, laughing at me or I felt like I didn't, uh, didn't really fit in. Uh, I just remember at home with my dad when he was around, my adopted dad, that is, he would, uh, anytime he would call my name, I'd immediately get tense and I feel like I was going to, you know, like, I feel like I was in trouble. Every, always. It was never, uh, he never talked to me nice. It was always, he just got very, very demeaning, very, um, I'm not sure how to word what I'm trying to say. He just wasn't very supportive uh, of anything. Just, uh, you could do nothing correct. I don't care what it was. You couldn't shoot a basketball right. You couldn't bring a tool to him right. You couldn't do anything correct. That's just the way he was. And so it just made me an insecure kid. I didn't feel, you know, like I really belonged, you know, but anyhow, I went through uh, many years like that, and then, let's see, around, um, I guess by the time I was about 11, maybe somewhere around there, my, I uh, was out playing with my buddies, and evidently he came home, I didn't know it, he was hollering for me, within the subdivision, he used to stand on the front porch and just yell if he wanted me to come home, and I didn't hear him, because we were wrestling, and me and these little guys down the street were just playing, and we were having fun. So he sent my older sister when she got home from school. He happened to be home when she got home. He sent her to go find me and she couldn't find me. She didn't know where I was at. And then she went back home. He thought she was down the street communicating with an older uh, teenager at the time in the neighborhood, a, a boy that he didn't like. So he started beating her with a, a stick. I didn't know that I wasn't there, but anyhow, I guess at some point he stopped and came outside and started hollering for me again. And this time I did hear him. So immediately I jumped up, you know, I jumped on my bike and I hauled butt up the street. I just knew I was in trouble. I didn't know what I did. And that was pretty much the norm. I always felt that way. So I go in the house and um, he uh, just starts beating me for no reason. He just because I didn't come the, when he called me the first time. And I saw my sister and she was all, uh, she had like all these, uh, bruises and wells all up and down both of her legs where he just hit her so many times and uh it, and with me it wasn't as bad I had pants on but i did had the same thing you know just not as much and um just so happens that my mother came home right about the same time right after this right in the middle of this really and she got really uh, upset 
she pulled out a gun and it got really ugly. You know, she told him to, to get the, you know, get on out of here. And so anyhow, that's how their, their divorce started from there uh, because of that. And they had some other problems between them, my mother and him. They were, I think he was, or she thought he was uh, cheating on her with another woman where he worked and that kind of thing. And it's, Turned out to be true. The woman that she suspected him of cheating on her with is actually who he married later on. But so that's probably what it was. I don't really know. But as a kid, I just felt like I felt like I did something wrong. I felt like I was the reason that, you know, that he was leaving. And, you know, I can remember clearly sitting in my dad. It's, I call him my dad. OK, this is kind of confusing because when we get into this, you're going to understand I've got several dads. When we're just getting started. But I refer to him as my dad, and I think about him as still my dad because he's he to me he's kind of like was my dad, you know, because I lived with him as a, as a baby being raised. Even though I knew I had a biological father, it was just really hard to explain. So, anyways, my dad um, when he basically was you know saying he was leaving, I can remember sitting in his uh, he drove an El Camino at the time. I never forget that. And I was sitting in there, and I was I started crying. I, I said uh, I asked I begged him not to leave. I mean I. You know, I felt like I that I caused the problem. It was a sad, you know, it's a sad thing to, to think about. I was really upset as a kid. I didn't understand the situation. And so nonetheless, uh, that's what happened. And we lived in Columbus, Georgia at the time because my mother worked at the for the Army down there at Fort Benning. And um, he was a postal guy. He worked for the post office down there. Anyways, we wound up moving back to Atlanta, me and my mother and my sister. And that's when things started changing. I started making a lot of bad choices. I was getting a little older. I was 12, 13, started playing with drugs, uh, smoking, hanging out with all the wrong guys, just doing really bad, being introduced to all the wrong things at a very young age. Uh, So uh, that really helped mold me for my teenage years. I just did a lot of bad stuff. I was just... uh, I was a good kid, but I did a lot of bad things. Does that make sense? I was still respect, respectful to uh, others. I would help anybody, but you know, I like to, uh, you know, just do dumb stuff. We uh, we smoke a lot of pot, whatever, you know, and ride our uh, skateboards and uh, you know whatever. I mean, it's just we were just uh, little punks. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. Well, and um, pretty almost <laughs> almost normal t- teenagers. I mean, that's. I think a, yeah, lot of, I mean, a lot of people go through that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think so, too. It's just normal. Maybe not so much these days. A lot of kids these days, they seem like they stay in the house. But uh, back then, you know, you had to get out. And you had, if you wanted to do something, you had to get out. You couldn't get on the computer or a game set or nothing like that. You just didn't have that kind of stuff. So um, we ran the streets, you know. We'd, we'd uh, build skateboard ramps and uh, jump our bikes. And just, you know, we were all into that kind of stuff. And anyways, uh was getting in trouble at school. Time went on, you know, and then my mother met another gentleman and they wound up getting married and I didn't like him from day one. He didn't really like me and uh, we had problems from the rip and uh, it didn't help that I was kind of a little punk myself. Anyhow, he, uh, we, we used to fight a lot and he, uh, he just was an asshole. I don't know how else to put it. I didn't like him at all. And uh, he, I was, a, I was a bad kid, but, you know, it was tough for me to try to listen to another man 
after you know where I've been. <laughs> so uh, I um, I was good to him. I was nice to him, but I still I just kind of did my own thing, you know. And um, he didn't like it. And so many times he, yeah, you know, we'd fight like literally. And um, he'd a uh, big old guy, you know. He he'd hit me, uh, got hit, you know, inside the head, knock you straight to the ground. I mean, he just was a big guy. It hurt really bad, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Anyhow, it was a problem, and my mother wasn't really happy. They was only married a couple of years, so they got divorced. And I was glad about that. We moved away from that side of town, moved to another side of Atlanta, and uh, to some um, apartments. And um, how did you look just, out getting two stepfathers who were violent? I don't know, man. It just—I don't know. I think my mother, she really thought they were good men you know i mean she was uh i don't think she you know she wasn't seeking out violent guys like my my biological father he was i mean he's he not wasn't a violent guy i mean he just uh he just had a problem with uh, you know just being uh attached to one woman that's his biggest problem and then and he wound up he did drink a lot that's actually what did kill him later on in life so I, I don't know the answer to that. It's just, uh, it's just ironic. It just, just the way it is, I guess. So, but nonetheless, uh, we uh, moved to another side of town, and um, and I continued to get more of a, you know, more of a bad kid. I just really fell into the skateboard life and skater life, skater punk life, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I played, I played guitar, and I was pretty good. And I was in a little, little uh, punk rock band, and. We um, had a lot of fun. I skipped a lot of school. I had the truancy officers coming in to my house, you know, and talking to me. And my buddies used to joke with me. They're like, they're like, we're the, you're the only guy I ever known that the school will come try to talk you into coming to school. <laughs> oh my God. I used to laugh about that, but you know, in hindsight, it was kind of sad, you know. I, but um, I just did other things. I would rather, you know, I, I just didn't have a lot of. Uh, I don't know, a lot of control of my life. My mother was very depressed after the, when this all this happened, and she got sick, and she was just kind of, uh, I was young. I was 14, 15, 16 years old, maybe more 14, 15, and she was, um, looking back, I mean, she was not in good shape. I just couldn't see it as much as being a young punk teenager. But, uh, you know, she would go to work, and she would come home. She'd just go straight to bed. That was it. You didn't see her ever. I mean, so every once in a while, we'd she we'd go out to dinner, like up the street to the little uh, uh, Shoney's or whatever, and could try to talk about things. But uh, most of the time, I was I was by myself, you know, or my sister was around. But anyhow, uh, we we went uh, through that for a while, and I, and I was, you know, wanting to get on the right track. I knew I was doing headed for wrong some stuff, you know. I mean. Just stupid stuff. We had the cops get caught on us and, you know, just, I mean, just dumb stuff. We didn't do anything wrong, but we just, we'd get in trouble with stupid stuff and it just wanted, it was just, you know, luckily I didn't get involved in anything really bad. I had a lot of friends later on that did, but I kind of got out of that lifestyle a little bit later. But anyways, uh, I actually went to go live with my biological father for a short time during this period. And cause I would visit him every now and then, you know, and, um, 
you know, he had a nice house and he was married to another woman at the time and he had a, a child, which is my half sister, which she's uh, great, you know, but, um, my biological father, you know, he gave us up for adoption. So it's just kind of a weird thing, but I actually did go to stay with him for a while and it just had seemed like a good idea at the time. I was, you know, my mother knew I was making bad choices and, and I thought maybe, you know, personally, I, in the back of my own mind, I thought it might've been a good choice. So I went to go live with him. He lived on the other side of town, uh, over in Gwinnett County, which is like um, east side of Atlanta, kind of northeast side of Atlanta. So I went over there and stayed with him. And it didn't take long that, you know, I could see so much of myself in my biological father. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I never experienced that because I, I was never, you know, I just didn't have that growing up. You know, so it was weird to see his mannerisms that I inherited. Uh, just little stuff. I can't even explain it. But uh, like if he was telling me some BS or something like that, I knew I, I knew it was I knew it was lying, you know, because it looked like myself telling, you know, it just it was weird. And uh, but anyways, he stayed gone all the time. And when I was living there, I, I spent all my time really with my stepmother, which not really my stepmother, my adopted stepmother, I guess you'd call it. And my half sister, uh, which she was a lot younger. She was five years younger than me. But uh, anyways, uh, my dad, my biological father was out, you know, he was a, he drank a lot and he was trying to at the time trying to go to AA and he played a lot of golf and um, he uh, had a thing for, for for women. I don't know what it was. He just was really a he's just a hound dog. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. I don't know how else to put it. And he uh, he would tell me about all these other women and it was, it was weird. You know, I just I didn't know how to react. I'm like, uh. I'd kind of laugh, but I'd be like, man, this is kind of messed up. You know, he's married, you know, and so it just made a really weird situation, you know. So come to find out a lot of times he was out supposed to be at the AA meeting or maybe at the uh, he was also a uh, a Mason. And so he would instead of, you know, going to the, saying he was there at one of those meetings, he was actually, you know, with some woman somewhere. But uh, anyways, I, it didn't work out. I decided I wanted to move back to my mother's house, and my, he got mad. He didn't like the fact that I was going to leave, and, you know, it just kind of – he didn't get violent with me, but he kind of just told me basically I'm no son of his, you know, just got really ugly, you know, just whatever, you know. So I left, came back to my mom, living back in the apartments, hanging out with my old friends again, doing nothing but bad stuff, and, um, you know, we uh, – my mother met another gentleman later on and uh, got married to him. So uh, this is another stepdad. At the time, it was a good thing. He was good. He, he got me involved in uh, doing like a, we started running. He taught me how to drive. I knew how to drive, but it taught me to where I could get the license, my, my actual driving license. I was about 16 at the time. Anyhow, we um, kind of were friends even though i didn't i kind of didn't like him but i did you know and uh, we i liked the fact that he got me into running and i started getting involved in just doing a lot of physical activity stuff you know i, I started looking at uh just getting involved in doing triathlons and things like that I just want to do healthy things instead of what i was doing and so uh, at the same time i messed up my old school i mean i was failing i got you know i was, I was man i was uh you know, ninth, tenth grade, and just you know, done repeated. Had to repeat it, you know, more than once. Uh, so um, over time, I you know, I just 
decided I was time to straighten myself up and cut my hair and just, you know, kind of cleaned up and went and got my, uh, went and got my GED. Just, you know, it, he was a big part of that, my stepdad at the time. And later on in life, he got a little weird, but uh, that's on, that's a little further in the conversation. Like I say, if I'm talking too much, man, you just let me know. No, you're, <laughs> you're doing great. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Anyhow, um, so they got they got married, and then we moved uh, to Carroll. Uh, well, it's a town out uh, west of Atlanta, far west, towards close to Alabama, out in the country. I was trying to find myself as a young man. I was about 18 or so at the time, and I uh, was dating this girl, and and um, but I was going to a construction school at night and working during the day. I worked in construction. You know, I'd stay over there with her till late and drive home at midnight and get up at, you know, 530 in the morning and rinse and repeat and uh, just wanted something different and, you know, wound up uh, joining the Air Force. And we um, if we, I wound up getting married young because of that. So which was a good thing. She's actually still my wife today. So um, I'm glad that that happened that way. But anyways, after after we moved out to Utah and was out lived out that way for a while when I was in the service, and um, the military was uh, to me it was pretty 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 boring. It was it's the Air Force, and I didn't do nothing glamorous. I put air I put uh, jet fuel in airplanes, so very uh, very lame job. But um, so I was glad when that kind of came to an end. I uh, got out of the service and then came back and then. Um, we were struggling as a young family and just trying to make it. And at that time, my mother, she never liked my wife ever. She just hated her and would always be a talk ugly to her. And also my wife had, had a, uh, she had, also, I had a stepson at the time. She had a small child when I, we got married. It's a long, crazy story, but, uh, we had, we dated for a while and she wanted, we we broke up for a, a couple of years and then she had, wound up uh, she was with another gentleman and wound up having another child and that didn't work out but we got back together and I wound up uh, just taking her back and then taking and also the, the young the, the little fella that I wound up raising uh, was a great kid he turned out to be awesome I feel like he's my stepson uh, anyhow so she didn't like him because she felt like that you know Whatever she treated him bad. She treated my son, my son, my son, who I did have with my wife, uh, as like he could do no wrong. You know, it's just one of those typical mother things, I guess. But anyways, long story short, she was ugly to my mother. Uh, my mother and her didn't get along, and uh, we just a lot of problems. And one day they had a falling out, and then my mother just disowned me because I wouldn't take up for her or something. I don't remember exactly what happened, but she was basically just wouldn't talk to me for a couple of years and then my stepdad who i thought was a good guy he he basically threatened me you know um just yeah, it got really ugly between me and him for no reason it's just kind of kind of crazy and um he was he was very crazy uh, he was a vietnam veteran um just a little off i can't explain it you just kind of knew it he's just the way he was with even with my mother they had a lot of fights and stuff and uh, my mother was was going to leave him, or not long after the, after they first got married, because they had a big falling out, and he threatened her, and actually she kicked him out of the car and made him walk home one time. So they had some issues early on, you know. 
But anyhow, it bothered me. My mother just kind of disowned me, uh, even as a young adult. It just really hurt, and because uh, she was like the only person in my life really that I had that was always there. Anyways, um, we had just kind of just didn't talk for a long time. It was two or three years, and slowly we started coming back around. But I always had problems with my mother. You know, um, she um, was just always super mean. I mean, my mother just became a very mean woman. And I don't know why. I mean, she was a loving mother when I was little, but as I became an older adult, she was very mean. Uh, you know, I mean, she's passed away now, but uh, she was just a mean lady. So it um, made it tough to be around her. You know, my my children, her grandkids, her daughter-in-law, which is my my wife. I mean, none of them really wanted to. As they all got older, as my children got older, they got to where they didn't want to be around her because of because of the problems. Anyhow, later on down, way down the road, you know, uh, many years later, my stepdad at the time, who he died, he had a massive heart attack in the backyard and didn't make it. And um, my mother, she lived for a couple years, and uh, then she she had breast cancer and and it metastasized, and she didn't want to do anything about it. And one day she just went into a coma, and that was it. And she died on my birthday of all days, two years ago actually. So. Uh, it's been kind of a weird, you know, uh, run, you know, what I've had. I mean, it's definitely not that bad. I mean, I've heard some really sad stories, but, you know, that's that's mine. And um, I think, you know, what I learned from it, it, you know, it shaped me to who I am. But, you know, I am an actor and I'm an entrepreneur, business owner, uh, family guy, all that jazz. I've, I've, I've done a lot of things right. Uh, definitely not perfect. But um, some of my friends that I, there's only a couple of them left that are still around from that that's known me for a long time. I mean, they're they're proud of me because they feel like you know they they know what I've where I come from, the things I used to do, what I you know what I've been through, all that jazz. They know all that, and so they're proud of what I'm doing today. They feel like I'm a, some sort of a success story from you know from their neck of the woods because you know most of them guys want to. Some of them are dead. Some of them are in jail. Some of them are just—I mean—they just been just don't have good history, you know. A lot of drugs, um, just a lot of bad, bad choices, man, you know. And um, but I got away from all that stuff early in life, and thank God I did. I was definitely destined for disaster, you know. So anyhow, all that uh, bad history of you know being. As a child, having, uh, you know, not feeling like you belong, all that uh, inferior complexes and things like that, you know, was was tough. And as a little kid, I, it, it really bothered me. It, it was I didn't know how to explain myself. You know, I just something was off and I didn't know what it was. But that made me as I went into my teenage years, you know, I, the one thing I had going for me, I was a tall guy. So a lot of I was taller than everybody else. And um, and I was a, an attractive kid and so a lot of girls liked me and a lot of my friends you know they, they were uh were, were a little jealous of me but i couldn't see it you know because i felt uh I, my confidence level was shot from what i had experienced as a child so i didn't it took a long time for me to recognize that and why i felt that way and it, it wasn't until really i became an adult that i really became to clearly understand it but um those things, it you know, it, it I guess in a nutshell, it, it makes me recognize 
what everybody, not just me, okay, but everybody has a difficult story, a difficult time. Everybody has bad things that's happened to them. You know, I mean, we've all lost lost people we've loved. If you haven't, you're going to. Uh, you know, it's it's just a part of life. But you know, there's a saying. You know, it's not all about the cards that you've been dealt. You know, it's how you play them and. And that is so true. Um, I mean, it could have turned out very different for me. I mean, it could have very easily turned out different for me. And and, for, and to say for where I'm at today, I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy that's never going to be satisfied ever. If I had $20 million in the bank, I'd figure out we need 40. You know, I'm just that kind of guy. Um, so I'm and I'm happy where I'm at, but I'm always looking for the next thing. And my wife thinks I'm always looking for something that's going to make me happy. She feels she thinks she thinks I'm chasing happiness, and she may be right. I don't know, but those things in my life is what's made me strive to be ambitious and be successful later in life. Because of all the things that's happened, and you know, I mean, I just you know kind of gave a backstory about where I'm where I'm from and how I got to where I'm at, but it's not really a, a complete picture, but. Uh, it just kind of molds, you know, the thought processes of how, as a child, and in my environment, and what you know, whatever, I got me to where I'm at as a man. It's um, it made me have to really, you know, overcome things because I wanted to. It made me um, have to recognize where things have gone wrong in my life and how we're not going to let that uh, bother. You know me anymore it just you got to put it behind you and you really got to put it behind you 100 percent. you got to move forward you can never stay stuck in the past you know about anything because it's gone i mean you learn from it yes but you, you don't uh you can't hang on to it we all make mistakes uh, we can't control what's been given to us all we can do is just take what we got and make the best of it and uh, rinse and repeat you know so that's exactly what i've done uh I got, I was blessed, you know, by, with a good, a good woman, a good wife that uh, really helped keep me anchored, so to speak. Cause I got married when I was, uh, you know, 20, 21, somewhere around there. And, um, you know, most, most people don't make it through their twenties when they get married that you know, it just doesn't happen. But, uh, we've been married for 22 years. So I've already raised two sons. Uh, you know, one of them, yes, is not biologically my son, but I raised him from a little child and, and, and he, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm the only dad that he's ever known, you know. And then I have my son, who is from me. They're both uh, grown. So, you know, I feel like I did a good job with the boys growing up. I, I, made, sure, I made sure that everything that I did as a dad, I did exactly the opposite of what I was, what was done to me. And I think that's why... Uh, that, you know, I feel like I've been blessed and we had a good home. Everybody, the kids were raised right and uh, stayed out of trouble, finished high school. You know, they even tried college for a little while. Uh, one of them was a big sports player. He played football. Even He had an offer from a good school, a university up in Boston, but he didn't take it. The other one's a successful entrepreneur. Well, he was going to be an entrepreneur, but he wound up getting a job. Uh, but he's a very successful in his job. He's moved through the ranks really quick and he's about to be uh, one of the top corporate guys for who he works for and he's only 23 he's already bought his first house you know so i'm proud of my boys and um you know i i, I 
like I am an entrepreneur and I, I wasn't always and I worked in construction my whole life started off when I was a teenager back in those rough years I worked for these guys that framed houses and these guys were just drug addicts man I mean heavy I mean cocaine and uh, you know, just whatever I mean I don't know anyways I worked for them and I would just clean up uh, job sites and I would go you know basically start fires and burn paint cans and sweep out houses and things like that. And um, that's how I started construction. And then from there, I just stayed with it. Started, uh, you know, building framing houses myself, uh, roofing houses, doing concrete, all that jazz. I got in all that and I made my way into commercial and uh, heavy commercial. Started doing uh, uh, high-rise buildings eventually. I became an engineer uh, senior field engineers, whether my, my title was, but uh, a lot of guys go to college for that kind of stuff, but I just kind of grew into it. It's just something I was good at. Uh, I was really good at reading plans. I was really, really good at uh, all that, just really good at math, naturally. I uh, Once I got exposed to that on a job site, I just stuck with it, and I just kept pr- pursuing that. I was buying books on how to understand uh, the processes of how to, you know, calculate these things, kind of like what a land surveyor does is what I was doing. I started doing all the layout for job sites, uh, not just the site, but also uh, control of the building as we'd go up, laying out footings, walls, things like that. So um, I just was good at it and I moved, moved up through the ranks. And when I finally got out of it, I was building a 50 story, uh, 50 story high rise. And I had a crew of eight, eight or nine that worked for me. And some of them were Georgia Tech graduates, things like that, you know. And here I am. I've never even finished high school, you know. And um, it was kind of a unique, uh, unique thing. But it just was something I was good at. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I'm Swanson, host of the TV Tuners podcast. Every week on TV Tuners, me and my co-host, Kiorain, Swanson, I need water. And Stairmaster, <coughs> review the latest in TV, discuss news, trailers, and even find time to play some fun games. Right now, we're working overtime to cram as much TV knowledge into our brains as possible. Isn't that right, guys? Swanson, we've been here for 24 hours. We need to get out of here. Not until you answer who Norm is. He's Fraser's brother. Wrong. You get the shock. <laughs> Check out TV Tunes, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or any of the podcatchers of your choice. When did you uh, become interested in acting? Well, as a, when I was young, I was interested. Man. But because I was so such a punk, you know, I mean, I just didn't really try to pursue it. I mean, you know, there was a performing arts school at the school, at the high school that I was supposed to be going to. And, uh, but, um, I didn't go, but, you know, I was a singer and, uh, played guitar and I, I did do, uh, you know, chorus and stuff like that. And, uh, but I was already playing music and had my band, you know, we, things like that. I was just, uh, musician and a artist at heart i also uh, i draw oh i used to i don't do as much as i used to i used to draw that stuff really really good i kind of got away from that i, I started I, when i get time i'm going to get into doing painting uh but i just don't have the time but one of these days i'm going to start doing painting to see what happens but uh 
anyhow, to answer your question, it wasn't until, until later in life. I've always been involved in music. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I used to play out a little bit here and there. I got involved with doing more, uh, you know, uh, country music style uh, stuff and doing uh, some classic rock. You know, I used to play out at restaurants and bars and things like that, do a, a solo acoustic shows. Didn't have a band as I got older because it just, you know, just don't have time for a band. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just tough. I mean, everybody gets old. You just don't have time for that. But I uh, played f- uh, festivals, fairs, things like that. I went to Nashville a few times, um, played up there some. Just chasing that, and then um, as we, my son, my my younger son, when he was about uh, 13 or so, he had an interest in acting, and so we um, tried to do something for him in that. We got him an agent and had a bunch of headshots and taking classes and all that stuff. It was really wearing on me and my wife because, you know, as a minor, you got to take him everywhere, and you got to be there with him if he's on set. But we was doing uh, some background work, and you know, the van, they, had, they had the Vampire Diaries. This is they shot all that here in Atlanta. He was on that a few times as a background guy. Anyways, long story short, was on on set, and I was there, and a lot of the background talent did not show up. It was raining. He had a, this director had a weird location. Uh, a lot of people just couldn't find it, and um, so he asked me if I would help fill in. I'm like, sure, man. So. I'd never done it, and you know, I remember talking to another woman that was there that was doing it, and she told me what to do because I didn't even know. She's like, just just start mouthing off the months and look at me like you're having a conversation, but don't make any noise. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, you know, I'm counting off, you know, like January, February, like I'm having a conversation and counting to 10, just, just in my mouth is moving. Um, so anyways, uh, after that, the director, he started talking to me. He said, hey, uh, have you ever done any acting? I said, no. And he told me, he says, well, you should look into it. And uh, he, he says, uh, I had an important look. And I didn't know what that meant. It kind of just stuck with me. I just kind of looked at him like, what does that even mean? You know, important look. Uh, so I took it as a compliment. You know, I said, OK, well, thank you. Went on about my life. And uh, my son, he finally just gave up on acting. He just it was requiring too much of his time. He just. I don't think he really liked it, and uh, he just was playing football, and he'd rather play sports at school. So he just kind of quit. He just quit. He had no interest. So a couple years went by, and I um, still was playing music and things like that. And I started thinking. I'd always thought about the film industry, and I knew here in Atlanta there was a lot going on. It was starting to grow as a big film hub. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to check this out. So I, I went and found some, you know, how to get a get on set i was doing some background work and uh, learning how things go i didn't know anything i mean i knew absolutely nothing so i started taking classes i found a local acting uh, school that was near me and uh, i was there you know every week uh, for two years straight uh, just training on how to act i had a long ways to go i mean i was familiar with being on the stage and, and performing as a musician but as an actor it's a completely different thing so I had a lot to learn and I had to really break some ice and, and try to make things, you know, being an actor is, is a tough thing. It really is. It seems easy and natural. And, and if an actor looks like it's seeming, if you watch an actor perform and it looks like they're doing it easily and naturally, that means they're doing their job really well. Uh, so it's just tough to attain that. It just takes time. And, um, but you know, I started, I stuck with it and 
finally got my first little role in a speaking role and um and it's blossomed from there. I chased it heavily, just doing a lot of student films and a lot of small and non-union stuff, independent things, which I still do a lot of independent stuff now. Uh, but uh, I just fell in love with the industry. I just uh, I love the um, I love I love acting. You know, I really am an artist at heart, and uh, acting is no different. It's the same to me as being a musician. Uh, you know, you're kind of a you're making your audience or whoever your viewer or your listener is a musician's case. You're making them uh, feel something, you know, and whatever that may be, you know, if it's making them feel happiness or sadness or angry or whatever, I mean, it's, uh, it's an art and, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to express that and make, make people have, get something from what you're giving them. And that's what I like about acting the most. I don't care about fame. I don't care about, uh, the money all that i mean it's, it's not even that doesn't even come to my mind i just um i mean I, i'm so far from both of those things i don't know if i'll even obtain them in my at this stage in my life uh you know i'm hopefully i got many years left but let's face it i'm, I'm not exactly a, a brand new uh child actor here you know got a lot, and i got a long ways to go so but uh but i do it because i like it you know and i love it so with that said i haven't been doing it that long i've been uh I guess it's been about four years now. This past year, I uh, was tossing the coin with stepping away from it for a little while because it started really consuming a lot of my life. Uh, you know, I do run a business as well. I have a company called Morris Environmental. We do uh, waterproofing and also we do roof coatings and things like that. So we're trying to make the company grow. I have a good little crew of guys that work for us and just trying to keep them busy. So we've upped uh, the, my ability to go look at jobs and try to price stuff, write estimates. And I just found myself doing that's all I do every day. I look at jobs all day, every day. I come home at night. I open my laptop and I write estimates until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Uh, trying to squeeze in an audition is tough. You know, it really is. But um, I uh, made up my mind here actually recently within the past couple of weeks that that I'm not going to let this business consume me because that's what it's doing. It's I used to love my business and love looking at jobs and love writing estimates and getting to where it's just, it's no fun. It's just sucks. And I don't like that feeling. So I decided that, um, we're going to really try to grow and, uh, and the company in more of a, a commercial job direction. And, what that what I mean by that is is that the projects that we focus on now are residential. So I look at a lot of little jobs and it's a lot of headaches uh, just trying to even land one. And then when you land one, they don't pay a lot. So it's a lot of hustle. You're always hustling, trying to get a get a job. Commercial projects. We, we did our first commercial project this past year uh, doing a temporary roof coating for a unique uh, metal frame construction that's popular over in Holland, but it's new to the States, which is kind of a cool opportunity. But uh, that was a big job, but it kept my guys busy for over uh, five, five, maybe six weeks, you know, uh, it's very, very long. That's a lot of risk because I spent a lot of money without zero with zero dollars coming in. But I did get paid, got settled up and, you know, we, we're OK. But it's a lot of investment up front on my part that I had to do uh, right down the bottom. Was that business just a natural progression of what you went through on um, doing buildings and stuff? 
I mean, is that just how you got to where you are now from your construction work? Yes. Yes. Well, let me tell you what happened on that one. I uh, I uh, was building the high rises and doing that the thing, living on the job sites, doing the big work as an employee. And when the economy slowed down, kind of tanked back in, uh, what's that, 2008 time frame, somewhere around there, uh, I was took another job with another company and I was making the more, the most money I'd ever made. Uh, and, but it was a smaller company and they were just very controlling with their people. And it's just, and the people they had in charge were just, it was a different environment. They just weren't very sure what they were doing. So they just made everything tough on everybody else. With that said, we were working out of town, uh, which wasn't too far from my house, but it was far enough to where you couldn't drive it every day. So I was having to live out of town during the week. And I had this little hotel-like room uh, that I lived in, had a little kitchenette. And, you know, I'd try to come home on the weekends if we could. Um, you know, but we were building uh, some school housing. And uh, so I was miserable. I mean, I was freaking miserable. I was out. I did that for a year. Well, I, I worked with that company for a couple of years. But that year that I was out of town was the worst. And um, it just uh, was, was weighing heavily on me. I couldn't take it. These guys I was working with were just freaking miserable. I mean, I don't know how they, I, I don't even know how they were still alive. That they hadn't convinced themselves to, to kill themselves. I mean, that's how terrible this, this crew was. I could never, I never met such a glum bunch of guys in my life. And it was just hard to be around them. And, uh, and I have a, I've always had a little bit of a problem uh, with being an employee. Um, you know, thank goodness I was always really good at what I what I did uh, as an engineer and before that when I was just a worker uh, when I was just pouring concrete doing form work I was I'd always outperform everybody I made sure I did and then as far as like uh, when I got became this engineer guy I uh, was the best I was known as when I, you know I had to make my head any bigger but I was known as the best high-rise field engineer uh, on this side of the Mississippi and uh, so a lot of companies used to headhunt me try to get me to come work for them uh, and, and now, you know, it's, they was offering me more money, this kind of stuff. And that's kind of how I got involved with this smaller company. So anyways, long story short, I was miserable. I hated it. I had to find a way to get out of it. I was trying to figure out some way, I, you know, at the, the economy was so bad, you couldn't get another job at the time because nobody was building anything. It was very slow. Uh, so I uh, was looking at maybe, you know, finding some kind of business I could do at home or back in my hometown, you know. I mean, right down to looking at buying a freaking Subway sandwich shop, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to make no sandwiches, but I, I was like, uh, whatever it takes. I mean, I was literally considering considering that every night I'd sit up trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. And that's what I did. I do my job, come back to my hotel room, and just just, ugh. you know, oh, and at the same time, I was real sick that year. I, just, I was I stayed. The whole time I was out of town with that company, I, I thought I was dying, dying of stomach cancer or something. I don't know. I, my stomach was so messed up. It felt like I had swallowed a pumpkin all day, every day. I don't, it was nothing you could do to make it go away. And so I went, I'd go to the doctor, you know, they told me I had a reflux or some jazz. They'd give me Nexium or whatever. I'd take it and I would, I didn't get any better. And they would take, they did a scope down my throat and look down and make sure I wouldn't, you know, have some crazy, you know, like I'm about to die or something. But uh, none of that just told me I had this reflux thing. Like, okay. So I kept taking the medicine and it just kept getting worse. It got so where I, if I swallowed food, it felt like it stabbed me pain in my chest. 
it was just really bad. So I went to another, I got a second opinion, um, about eight or nine months later after I lived like that. Cause I can, you know, I, I can remember laying in bed at night, just balled up like a little girl, just felt like I just wanted to die. You know, as my stomach was just killing me every, every day. Anyways, this little guy, this younger doctor I went and seen back in Atlanta, he did a scope down my throat and which, uh, which was very tough, by the way. I just a side note, I, I didn't have a driver because most of the time they give you, they give you like a medicine to make you relax and where you can't remember. You're supposed to have a driver present to take you home from the procedure. Well, I couldn't get nobody. I was by myself. So we did this, we did this procedure with nothing. He was talking to me the whole time with that thing stuck down my throat. I, I had to go to a, <laughs> Another place in my mind, man. I had to really just tune that out because that, I got to. I got to tell you, man, that was tough. I, I would not recommend that to anyone. <laughs> so, anyways, he was down in my stomach looking around and came back out, and uh, and my esophagus was all jacked up, and uh, he just he it looked a certain way, and he knew what it meant. It's uh, I have an allergic. Uh, I was having an allergic response. Is what it was. It's called um, allergic esophagitis, eosinophilic esophagitis, or something like that. And um, so he gave me steroids and told me, you know, good luck. It's something that you're eating that's causing it. So I had to go through and weed out everything I was eating. So I had to, I wound up giving up uh, all gluten products, and wound up that's pretty. That, that was what the problem was. I, I had become sensitive, allergic to gluten. And that was making me so sick. That's what caused that. Uh, so I had to give up everything. You know, I, I used to drink beer and eat pizza and all that stuff like a normal American does, but I had to stop all that. I just couldn't do it. Anyhow, the construction thing, when I was working out of town, being sick and all that, trying to figure out how to get out of this disaster, um, I finally stumbled upon a, rest- a restoration franchise. And it's, yeah, I'm sure you've probably heard of Surfro. Uh, they've got a lot of commercials that, Okay, this this franchise was uh, was a competitor to Surpro, and so I started calling around the other franchise owners. I didn't really understand how that whole thing worked. I didn't know anything about it. But this one gentleman who owned one, it's a nice older guy, he did want to talk to me. So we actually met for dinner one night and we talked, and he uh, made it easier for me to get my my franchise going. We actually partnered up to do a location in my hometown. Because he was interested in that area already. He just wasn't sure if it would work because the population and the type of people that were out there was it was out in the country. So he decided to partner up with me and we uh, we opened this new franchise out in uh, west of Atlanta. So I told my job goodbye. I feel like I just got released from prison when I left that place. And um, and I will. And I, that's how I was welcomed into becoming an entrepreneur, which at the time, it was a great way to do it because I had a partner who was very successful. He's been a business owner for years. He was also used to be the CFO of Louisiana Pacific Lumber, for God's sake. So he was very sharp about numbers. You know, I mean, if there was five cents missing in a bank account, he was freaking out. You know, one of them kind of guys. So anyhow, it made it good for me, a good opportunity. But I'll say this with the franchise thing. The franchise was was terrible. Five years, we did it for five years. Okay. And so five years later, I actually got out of the franchise because it, I just got tired of paying all that money to the franchisor. And we were, we were struggling out in there where we were, where my franchise was located. The only time we made any money is when we would travel, like uh, when a hurricane hit, um, 
like in New York, I was up there working. Um, there was uh, a little thing that hit Louisiana one time. I was down there. Uh, one year, New Jersey got bombarded with rain for a long time, and a lot of people lost power. Trees fell, and everybody's basements flooded out. So we had a lot of work up there. So I was doing stuff like that and just trying to make it struggling back in my home territory, but making enough money to kind of get by, you know, uh, out of town. And it just started to suck. It just, I couldn't keep any help. I was having to do all the work myself because we weren't steady. Yeah, it just was really tough. So, um, but it taught me how to be a business owner because without that safety net of having that partnership and going into a franchise, I don't think I would have, you know, just walked away from a, you know, a, a almost six figure a year, you know, salary, you know, in construction and having a family with children. You know, I just, most people thought would think I was an idiot, you know, and not to mention it was during when the economy was slow and all that was going on. It was just a kind of crazy how it worked out, but it did. We made it. There was times I didn't think we would. But anyways, the franchise, I wound up leaving it. Uh, I knew I was going to be getting out of it about a year before I did. So I started saving every all the money I could. And I saved me up a little nest egg. I didn't have much because I had pretty much everything I owned invested in that franchise. So I didn't have uh, a lot. And I saved up, uh, I don't know, $30,000, $40,000. And finally just told my partner, uh, you know, I'm walking away, man. It's yours. You know, and. He wound up selling it, I believe, to another, uh, to a neighboring franchise. And, um, because there was another guy that lived close there. He wanted to buy it anyways, but I didn't get anything out of it. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't want anything out of it. You know, I felt like, uh, I felt bad about leaving, leaving him, but he knew it was coming because we just, the numbers on the books, you could see it. It just wasn't, we weren't making the kind of growth that we needed to see. So with that money, I started my company, Morris Environmental which uh, we do waterproofing, which is not the same thing at all as what the franchise did. The franchise did restoration work like busted plumbing pipes, stuff like that. They focused on uh, things that your insurance company would cover because that's how, you know, that's how Surfro works. That's how they can turn a job that would normally cost a few thousand dollars into $30,000 and the insurance company paid for it. So that's how that model works. What I do now is uh, waterproofing. Um, and this stuff is not covered by insurance ever. So people, when they call me, they, they, you know, I have to be, you know, I can't be expensive. I got to beat my competition, but most of my main competition is super expensive. They're easy to beat. So I, um, I just been getting by, you know, doing, uh, waterproofing jobs, keeping, uh, keeping my crew. I've, it took me a while to get a good crew going. I have my son. My younger son, he works, he runs the crew, and um, I've managed to keep a crew of guys busy every day, six days a week for two years straight. Uh, so we've been, been good. We've been making it, and it's been tough. But uh, and I've been, I've been around now since uh, I opened this in 2015. So what's that? Four years. So yeah, so that's how I got into this construction thing. Now all my experience in construction has really helped with everything, with the franchise I was in, with, you know, what I do now, because we also do foundation repair. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I just know because I've, I've been building my whole life. I just, you know, I know these things. But I chose waterproofing as a business 
for many reasons, but two specific ones. One is that it's it's a specific trade. You know, you're not trying to play general contractor where you're doing 30 different things. Uh, so you got one thing you're really focusing on, and you be really good at that one thing. Uh, the second reason is the, the the kind of employees that I have to have to do this. It's not exactly rocket science. You get, I mean, you got to know what you're doing, but it's not like I need a you know a, a specialized remodeling guy, somebody that's been building cabinets for 40 years to know every you know every in and out little nook and cranny. Uh, it's, it's, this kind of business doesn't require that. I just need some skill set of labor that is has a decent head on their shoulders to be able to do what we do. So that's why I picked waterproofing. You know, I, everybody, all my friends always thought I'd be some big uh, general contractor or something, you know, but uh, and, I, and I played with that when I was in my early 20s. I had a little handyman business for a while and stuff like that. And all I did my whole time was spend time juggling, uh, writing estimates, figuring out subs, trying to get material for every different trade, just crazy stuff, man. It just it wasn't it was not worth it. I mean, you'd work your butt off just to make maybe 20 percent of whatever your job job cost was it just wasn't no money in it so that's why i went that's why i went and i got a regular job later on in construction and um anyways that's how i got to where i'm at now with morris environmental in that aspect but you know being self-employed also has allowed me to be to have the freedom to um chase some of my passions and what I'm trying to do, which is be a, a, a great actor, you know, plus, uh, you know, when I've had enough, when I've just got to t- I walk away from everything I can, you know, it's not uncommon for me to go uh, just say, forget it. I'm going to the beach and take my surfboard and go down there and spend a few days. So being self-employed enables you to do that. Now, I haven't done that in two years now, but ironically i am taking my guys fishing this weekend uh as a company it's my first company outing so uh, it's kind of a milestone for us so we're excited